Hello, credit union executives. Welcome to See You on the Show, where we give you up-to-date information on how you can reduce risk, keep key talent, and take a strategic approach to your personal financial wellness. Hosted by me, Doug English, a certified financial planner and former credit union insider with ACT Advisors. My guest today is Michael Blank, Executive Vice President of the Sheeter Group. Michael has over 20 years of insurance and financial services experience and specializes in non-qualified deferred compensation and succession planning specifically for credit unions. In this episode, we talk about the process of getting executive benefits, the importance of due diligence, and the risks and rewards of the collateral assignment split dollar program. So, Michael, tell me about uh, how you got started working with credit unions in the credit union movement. Well, I got out of college and went directly into working in the community bank industry doing executive benefits. Uh, Worked there through about 2006 and joined a firm that specialized and moved all their business to credit unions. And so we adapted to the non tax market and we essentially sold all our bank business and focused strictly on credit unions. And we've been working with credit unions and I've, I've made some changes since then. And so it's been about 20 years of service with executive benefits, 15 of those specifically with credit unions. So it's something that is, for me, a, it works well with how we do business. The credit union movement itself is members and not clients and, and doing what's right for the industry and, and, and the credit union movement. Their goals correlate to our goals at the Sheeter Group. So it's, uh, it's a great, great, great niche to be in, great, great people to work with. And I enjoy going to work every day with them. Yeah, it is a movement, not just a, a means of everyone earning a living, right? There's a lot more to what's going on in credit unions. Correct. It's a different type of people that work with credit unions. You, you can tell, and I, I noticed it going from banks to credit unions. And what's nice about it is, they truly are trying to help help members out, and um, and it, it it speaks a lot to to them. And th- those are the people I enjoy working. Wonderful. All right, so l- let's uh, pretend we've got a couple of situations. We've got uh, let's talk to a listener that is a credit union executive or perhaps a board member that's considering adding executive benefits to their credit union a suite of benefits. So let's kind of talk about the process of if you get into executive benefits. What kind of ongoing obligation are you going to have as an, an institution? So let's first talk about that. And the other thing I'd like to, to hear for our listeners is if you are already in an executive benefit program, what are the things to watch out for as far as uh, from your service provider, from your annual requirements? So I know that's a lot, but let's uh, start out with, uh, with the first question. I'm, I'm someone considering getting uh, an executive benefits program. What am I getting into for an ongoing uh, requirement? That's a great question. And one that I really focus on a lot when I look at doing plans. And so what I try and do is explain to the board, even if it's a HR executive, uh, such as a CEO, asking me the same type of question is, what should we be doing when we implement one of these types of structures? The first and foremost, I think, is you got to make sure you're doing your due diligence. 
there's a lot when you say due diligence. There's third-party uh, vendor qualifications you need to evaluate. There's products. There's plan design. And there's also just looking at the overall risks and returns of doing a plan. And I'll start off by saying this is a complex structure. It's something that you can't get done in one or two meetings. My belief is you should educate yourselves on the risks. And also, when I say risks, the pros and cons of the plan. So there's a lot of reasons why credit unions do these plans. And, and mainly, they're so good to as a retention tool for, for their management team to stay in place. And with, uh, with anything you do, there's always some type of risk associated with it. And so just understanding, and I think that's what regulators have been harping on more, is just understanding the risks and making sure you're just not diving into it. You're hearing all the good things about it. You sign up for these plans and then it hits you years down the road. It's like, hey, I didn't realize this was going to happen or this could happen. And, and so the most important thing that I think is come up with a structure of of a request for a proposal or a, a, a outline of what you're needing. And we've helped uh, clients and prospects put something together like this of saying, here are the things that we need to evaluate when we put these plans in place. One of those, you know, is vendor selection. NCUA is nothing new that they want to make sure that you're doing proper third-party administration and vendor selection for any type of business that the credit union gets put in place, and it shouldn't be different for executive benefits. So when we talk about third-party evaluations, so what does that look like? Who are you working with? What's their service model? How long have they been doing it with credit unions? And how long have they are they outsourcing some of the servicing? Are they in it just as insurance salespeople or are they benefit consultants? There's all these different questions that we see in our industry. And I think just getting to know your vendors is one of the more important aspects of doing that, getting a comfort level of working with them and making sure you evaluate their references. One of the big things I'm noticing is you have companies hiring newly new consultants. And what they'll do is they'll base their references on plans they sold 20 years ago by the former owner. Doesn't make that new consultant any more educated on what's out there and what they're telling them, but they're referencing a lot of that. So, you know, ask for references. A little tip is ask for references specifically to that consultant and who they've worked with. How many cases have, have they maybe personally put in place and how many cases did they lose? and lost any clients. So there, there's aspects of that that I think is important when you're talking about vendor due diligence. The second item is just education for the board and making sure they understand these plans. I think the biggest thing that we've seen is the NCUA came out in 2017 with some updated examination guidance. And the big thing that is from that takeaway is Maybe you don't need to listen to your consultant 100% of the time. You need to do your own homework. And I mean you, I mean the board. And so making sure that what the consultant is telling you and going over, that you're also keeping in mind that you're doing your own education, your own analysis of maybe the companies they're using, their structures and their risks. So what I, I like to use with my clients is that I'm going to go through everything, but I'm going to give you some homework assignments that you need to do on your own. And it's important because you need to illustrate and document for your next regulator when they come in to show that you understand these packages. 
you understand the risks and rewards and, and the why we're doing it. And you can be able to explain the rationale of why we put one of these plans in place. Right, great, Michael. So, so what I'm hearing is, is a need to document your initial evaluation of vendors, of the insurance companies they're working with, of the process that you used, and that you understand what you're getting into. Once you, you've done that and you, you fund a plan, uh, what in year two, five, 10, 20, what are your ongoing requirements like? Yeah, I'll, it almost goes back to the original conversation I was just talking about when it comes to vendor due diligence is talking about their service model. That is something I would, I would highlight very highly when I'm looking at companies and consultants when it is in regard to these types of structures. What specifically is your service model? And give me an outline of how that's going to work for years two, five, ten, like you just talked about. The big thing that I see is that these plans and are are a lot of front end loaded when it comes to commission. And so when you see these service models, they're not as important to a typical salesperson, but with someone who actually cares about the industry and cares about the business, it is important to them. And so what we always structure at the Shooter Group is we put a plan in place, but we always promise that we're going to be there to service the plan and, and make sure that we're there to answer questions years two, five, ten, like you said, down the road. There are a lot of things that change. When I put in a plan for someone who's, say, 45 years old, I'm pretty upfront and honest and say, this plan is probably going to change in 10 years from now. Okay, it's the, the, There's so many dynamics moving in the credit union industry of mergers and acquisitions. You see a lot of uh, growth with the credit unions, with these, uh, with the new loans coming out from the government. That you know, it's, it's the financials are all getting all tweaked left and right. So there's always the, the growth of some assets. So you jump from 800 million to a billion. Now compensation is behind, and now we have to restructure these contracts. And and so staying on top of it year to year is very important. So what I always say is, you should do an annual review each year for the plan. Make sure you're updating and talking to the board and putting in your board minutes that you've talked to your consultant and that you did your own review. That is important because it covers both that we've done it through the third-party administrator, but we also done it on our behalf. And I think when you, when you do that annually each year, that should be the minimum requirement you should do. Above and beyond that, I think every... Three to five years, there should be a thorough review. Or if there's something that jumps out that you weren't anticipating. I'll give you an example. When COVID hit, interest rates fell almost to the floor. It gave an ability for us to go back to our current clients and reduce the overall loan rate of our split dollar plans. That was a task that really was going through each client, evaluating it and doing a thorough review really helped them strengthen their plans. There was no 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 commission or, or sales or anything. It was all about service. And that should have been done for all their clients. And, and, and that's what we did. And when we evaluated it, we did thorough reviews. And so every three to five years, if nothing happens, you should do a thorough review. If something like that does have interest rates drop, or if you have some changes in the industry with, with any type of interest rates, regulations, products, that you do a thorough review. And then if you can adjust some of these plans, you should. And all, all you're trying to do is strengthen and making sure that one, the credit union has safety and soundness, but two, the benefits for the executive 
is is stable and going to be able to be provided at the anticipated uh, distribution date. Great. Now, uh, tell me about so several times, both in the initial process as well as in the annual process, you you've referenced that you need to do some of your own work and not just entirely rely on the consultant. So you can prove that you've done done that. But uh, I imagine many credit union leaders and boards don't really have the background for that. So they probably need some third party assistance, like a consultant or actuary, something like that to help. Can you tell me any guidance about that process or where people will reach out to? Well, I think the the context of what I was saying is is just educating themselves about the risks of these plans. A regulator will come in and come and ask specific questions. Who's the administrator of the plan is just a simple question they ask. A lot of times the boards will say, oh, it's Michael Blank at the SHE Group. I'm not the administrator of the plan. I'm, I'm simply a third party. The board is always the administrator of these plans. Just a little trick question that they do is what I, you know, I see them doing where they can write you up. And so the issue really what it comes down to is understanding and actuaries. Unfortunately, with these complex situations, you can work with some attorneys that understand the legal aspects, but maybe not so much of the product. That's why working with a trusted consultant is so important. My job is very challenging. I have to understand uh, legal, accounting, regulatory, just ERISA, benefits, credit union regs. There's all these little things that we always have to just keep our eye on. And so what the most important thing that prior to implementing a plan you should have done is a pre-implementation manual. That manual should consist of a outline of all the risks that you're evaluating. One of the things that we try and do for our clients is we put, give you that outline. We say, here are the things that you need to be considering. And as we go through this process, we're going to have a, a, a book that is going to be completed by you that's going to go through why did we do these benefits? Are these benefits reasonable? What carriers did we look at? Did you look at any other type of insurance carriers? Is it just whole life? Did you look at index whole life? Did you look at universal whole life? On and on. So we try and help ask those questions that you need to know, but you as the board need to answer those. All right. Very good. So several times you've mentioned risks, the risks of uh, one of these plans. Can you talk a little bit about some of the risks of the plans? What can go wrong? What have you heard go wrong throughout your uh, 20 years? Uh, That's a a good question. Uh, You know, split dollar has so many advantages and it's such a great tool for retention and also for just overall retirement. And you've seen it firsthand. Oh, it's incredible. In a financial plan, when I have a, a split dollar for an executive as a part of their plan, it gives me this incredible leverage to time tax consequences and to say, all right, oh, it looks like uh, there's going to be an increase in taxes. Let's just skip this year and not pay taxes. Oh, yeah, and we'll get Obamacare for, for uh, virtually nothing, too. I mean, it's unbelievable as a benefit. I love it when I see it in a financial yeah, plan. Yeah, no, I, I love it, too. I mean, it, it's a great... I have the same product on, on my my life and in my wife's life too. So I, I mean, it's the context of it works so well. The the concerns that I have or, or the questions that I'll ask people is that when they go into these plans, they're always told all the the great highlights of it, and and ne- never of like, all right, well, what if they were to leave the credit union? How do you unwind these plans? That that's a that's a one of the questions. There's not a lot of people that when you go through it, understand how to unwind a split dollar plan. 
I think the biggest risks that I see some of the, when we go into a competition and I'm going against another carrier is the credit union will look at it as a product. It is not a product. Even though we use life insurance, it is more of a design of how a plan is done and the use of the products. Because one of the the pitfalls I see is I'm just going to use the lowest uh, loan rate, uh, lowest loan outlay, and I'm going to use that lowest loan outlay. And that's the one we're going with, thinking it's it's the best price for the best product. Yep, as it sounds like the lowest cost. Exactly. And so the, the pitfall with that is, is I can show any type of outlay, and but is it going to work 20 years out or 10 years out? That's the question. What kind of cushion and, and are they building into these products? And, and are they right now rates are at X? Well, what if they are drop 50 basis points? Do they do that type of analysis? Or are they just taking the policies and just throwing them at you and saying, ours is $300,000 less than the other provider? I think that's a huge pitfall because when you're going through it, it's not basically about the loan rate. It's about what products are, are available understanding those products and you're talking when you're talking about products for instance let me just say there's whole life indexed you well other types of insurance out there they all have different ways to and different rules of how you illustrate those products one can illustrate assuming this one can uh, illustrate assuming this are those assumptions reasonable those are the questions that the board should be asking and why not are we looking a lot of times when we're implementing the plan they're only showing one product there should be several products. You should have some selection with it. It just, a lot of times we we don't take the time. I see consultants not taking the time to actually consult and go through the whole process. They just want to try and just do, here. here's one plan, do this plan, that's how this plan works. And there's so many variations and levers that you can pull. So evaluating some of the, the products I think is important and could help with some of the pitfalls. The other big pitfall is how you write the document. I think that's something that is important to make sure that when you're going through in numbers, how those numbers relate to the verbiage that's written in the legal document, they need to go hand in hand. If they don't, they're not, they're not going to be strength in, in the numbers. They're going to follow what's written in the legal document. So one of the big pitfalls is making sure you're using an attorney that is experienced and that knows how to write these documents exactly how they pertain to the numbers being shown to the board. Yeah, so the the plan design matches the actual plan implementation. In seeing um, individual policies for people, the challenge with working with uh, illustrated benefits is the complexity of the illustration system, the assumptions around it, the things that can change because they're not guaranteed. I mean, it seems like in uh, universal life insurance, uh, most everything is not guaranteed, except for the super high cost maximum rates that you hope you never, ever pay. And for a board and an executive team to understand that, I think they're really pretty, pretty dependent on their consultant to be open book and, and to look at the long term. I look at this as a long term um, relationship and not just a quick sale. Yeah, I think it should go back to compensation philosophy. When I usually start with a board, I try and first listen and figure out what they're trying to do. Every board is different in a sense, but most boards are the same. It's weird when I say that. Is yeah, that the, makes sense. <laughs> it's, you know, the, the 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 credit union board is is all made up of volunteers, and what they're trying to do is make sure they're 
doing what's right on behalf of the membership, but also doing everything in their power to retain their executive. And so when you do that, you go into these types of arrangements. And what they're just wanting to do is safety and soundness. They always ask what other credit unions are doing. And when you can provide what others are doing in in their asset class and their market space, I think that just adds to the value of, of, of their education, what they're knowing about how these plans work in their area and who has those. We go through that, but I also just listen to their compensation needs. This is part of the compensation philosophy. This is their long term. So they talk about salary and bonus, and then these plans are kind of like the third piece to it. And what I like to understand is where are they at? What are they trying to accomplish? And so when we go through that, they may start with a small plan and then maybe years down the line add to it. But it doesn't mean when you go into a plan right away, that's guaranteed the plan for the next 20 years. And that's where I say these annual reviews are why they're so important because we constantly tweak, look at them. And so when we do one of these plans, we want to make sure that they are done so in a manner that every executive understands what is involved with the plan. And like you said, being not a defined benefit, being based on performance of an insurance policy is one of the big highlights I try and work and educate everybody about, not just the board, but more importantly, these executives, because it's a common question you get is, you know, I thought I'm getting X dollars amount. And it's just like your 401k. There's things that could happen up and down for your 401k, just like this plan. So having a monitor of where you're at, and that's why I think those annual reviews are important. And also those really thorough reviews of kicking around, is there anything we could do from a legal standpoint to improve the plan? Is there because a lot of times these plans start at, at a percentage of final salary, salary rise higher than anticipated. Who's going back in those years three to five to evaluate those? So that's something that I, I think that is part of the review process. But I absolutely agree about the defined benefit and making sure they understand that these plans cannot be defined. Illustrated benefit, right. T- talk to me about what happens for the annual review process or, or any of the service. When you start to get to the other end of the pipe, when the some of their executives start to retire and they're uh, making withdrawal requests and th- there must be some guidance that needs to be provided around how much those withdrawals can be. And, and uh, talk to me about what that process looks like year to year. Well, just like marriages, communication, communication, communication. <laughs> uh, I think that's the biggest thing that I do. Really, you have you have two parties. You have the uh, participant and the uh, board. You also throw another party in of the actual insurance carrier. All the carriers should have, whenever you do a split dollar plan, all those plans should have a collateral assignment associated with that. What that means is that the the insurance carrier has on record that there's another another party involved in this arrangement with the life insurance and that they won't release any of the dollars unless we have that signature from that other party, meaning the credit union. So when we talk about the servicing in the annual and distribution stages is communicating with the carrier, the executive, and the credit union. And so making sure that we are anticipating there should be a meeting. Like I I could just tell you how I do things. I have a, a meeting in the minds four to six weeks prior to any distribution where we sit down and talk about Here's the distribution. We run a new analysis to evaluate what, what can be distributed out. We share that with the executive. 
we discuss the executive needs and concerns, and that's where you come into play. You may defer some of the, I've seen deferrals. I've seen maybe we need to enhance it and, and move the money up. So there's there's that communication between the executive, his his people that he's working with, CPAs, attorneys, financial planners. Once we get some determination and everything's got to be agreed upon in the legal document, mind you, is then we have the conversation with the board, making sure that they understand what the distributions are and that we are able to provide those and and go through the risks and making sure that the plan's holding up. And so when we're uh, able to go through that with the board, communicate to the board, communicate to the participant, the participant communicates to his, his financial planner like you, then we all agree on a dollar amount. We submit it to the carrier to get distribution and we start there. And so that is something that we do each year. And so it's important that we talked about annual reviews. We also do annual reviews with the participants. And that's something that is not typically covered. I see a lot in the service model of other vendors. You see, we'll update the board, but how are you? And that's the question I always ask if I was entering these plans is, this is all said and great, but who's going to be there when I'm in the distribution phase? And that, and who has experience with that? And that's where I think it's important for the executive to know how that process works and how, the, how to make sure that we communicate it to all parties involved. Typically, I'm seeing people, uh, you know, Within a few years of retirement and then long past that, the annual process of getting money out uh, is one that is a, is a bit of a long process, right? You know, the, the amount they think they're going to get has been illustrated for years, illustrated for years. But the actual amount that you're going to take when it comes time to take the money is based on the way the figures look at that time. And I haven't seen anyone have a tremendously bad experience at all. It doesn't mean it might not happen. I, I haven't seen it. Um, have you seen someone's projections and their reality be very different? Yeah. With when you, I, I saw it just recently because when you have interest rates drop and just like if you're showing a plan, it doesn't matter if it's a mass mutual, Minnesota Life, New York Life, whatever carrier. But in, when interest rates all drop, dividend rates, all internal index rates, everything also drop the cap rates. And when we re-illustrate a plan, the plans sometimes don't look as well as they were originally put in. And that's something that we saw as a whole with all our clients. That if you know, one of the things it goes back to my conversation earlier that we were talking about is when you're building a plan, when you at that stage one, adopting a plan, it's not about the cheapest product or are you looking at it? It's how are you building it with cushion, assuming that you might have some of these fluctuations in interest rates. And so if you properly design it from day one, and I would say a lot of our plans were able to still support this drop, it, it still performed because we built in cushion. I think that was one of the things that is important is that you look at and anticipate some of these uh, market changes going forward. But when that happens, does that mean the interest rate environment is going to be low for the next 30 to 40 years? No. So it's, it's once again, this communication of here's where we're at. Does that mean five years from now, it's going to be there? So when you had people close to retirement and with this interest rate drop, those are the ones that are affected the most. And also people in, in, into uh, distribution phase as well. So when you ask me, I think it's important that you do an enforced illustration every time you take withdrawals out of a policy. By doing so, you look at how those policies are holding up. And 
using assumptions that are in today's rates going forward, you can anticipate what that's going to look like in the future. And I have those conversations. They're hard to have, but to say, if interest rates stay like this, your benefit might be reduced by this. Tell me about when, um, let's say that uh, you're a credit union leader and there's a split dollar plan that was uh, perhaps there before you got there. And the uh, the person that sold that is semi-retired or retired. You just don't think it's a an ongoing situation that you're comfortable with. What is the what are the options? Like, does it make sense to uh, to continue that plan and add more funding? Or does it usually make sense to add a new plan? And then, what if I'm uninsurable? What do you do then? Yeah, uh, when you're taking over a plan or looking at an existing plan, there are a lot of things to consider. One is what product was used. And what's been the performance of that product too? How is it designed? What kind of loan was it? There's intricacies inside of a legal document you can evaluate. So I think just doing an overall review of what they have. If they want to add to it, you can certainly do it by layering another plan. Typically, I would recommend doing just another new plan or even another type of plan like a 457F. But just try and present some options that you have available. And then leading on to your next question is about the uninsurability that comes up sometimes with our clients. There are different insurance carriers that take on different risks. So once again, when you're talking about these plans, making sure that we are going through the different products and designs and not just being saying, here's our one product and here's our one design. When you talk about the different products, you may put it out for a bid and one may come out standard and one may get table rating, which is a a less of a rating. So you should have that going through. If you're completely declined, there's, there's still other options. We've done uh, spouse uh, as the insured, the owner is still the executive. And so we could do spousal coverage. Once again, that goes back to my communication comment is making sure we communicate that to the board and understand because that changes the makeup of how we do the document and make up how the credit gets paid back. So it adds a layer of complexity to it. But it's a way to kind of get around that option. I would say that's one of my main dis- disadvantages of a split dollar plan is insurability. If I wish it wasn't so much the case, but we need that life insurance product in place to uh, accommodate all those all those advantages and of using life insurance for a retention tool. There are other options available besides split dollar plans. 457F models are also a type of plan design where you do not need to be insurable. And uh, like you know, there, there are different risks and rewards to those. You may go to 457F, but it doesn't have near the power of the insurance vehicle because the tax-free distributions or the loans are just, that that's the real power that I see in someone's financial plan, again, is that just those distributions coming in year after year without counting for how much you pay for Medicare Part B or uh, how much Social Security you get or or anything, not counting against anything with the 457F. Yeah, there's no insurability question, but there's this big payout. And then that big payout uh, causes a huge surge of taxes that year. And then you've got to very carefully managing it ongoing. It's better than not getting the money, but it's not nearly as good in the financial strategy, in my opinion, as collateral assignment. So, Michael, what are your parting takeaways for credit union CEOs and board members? For any board member or executives listening to this is to use a 
a outline of, of what you're trying to accomplish and making sure that we document everything to make sure we evaluate vendors and talk to other folks. A lot of times I have a great relationship with my clients, but I always tell them call another vendor just to, just to get another look at it. It's always good to document that. But if you have a nice outline all lined up of doing third-party administration, education, all this, and there are some things that we can provide if, if they want to reach out to us of those of a, what I call a board checklist. I think that is important to make sure we document and making sure they understand everything that's involved with these plans because there, there really are great plans when there's nothing better than seeing these plans mature and the executive and their spouse and, and their, their children get to enjoy the benefits of working so hard and leading that that credit union to where where it was led to and and then finally saying all right now it's my time to retire and seeing that all unfold is is pretty uh, amazing so it's one of the the highlights of my job and I enjoy doing it and and want to make sure that these plans are there for them when they reach that point in their life so with that if there's anything that your clients need I'm here to help and uh, give them some honest and transparent feedback Thanks, Michael. Thank you. Hope you have a good rest of the day. That's all the insider credit union knowledge we have for this episode. Are you enjoying the conversation? Be sure to subscribe and share your thoughts with other credit union leaders by leaving us a review. See you next time on See You on the Show. The opinions voiced in this material are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual security. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor prior to investing. Economic forecasts set forth may not develop as predicted. All performance referenced is historical and is no guarantee of future results. Indexes are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly.